Luke chapter 4 today for the preaching of God's Word. Luke chapter 4. Jim Grant wrote a Reader's Digest article of an overweight businessman who decided he was going to go on a diet. He needed to shed some of those excess pounds that he was carrying around. And so he made up his mind and he told his office co-workers about it that he would find another way to work so that he did not drive by his favorite bakery every morning. Well, his co-workers one morning several weeks into this diet gave him a hard time when he walked into work carrying a large coffee cake. And he explained it to them that it was a special coffee cake. His explanation went this way. I accidentally drove by the bakery this morning. And there it was in the window. All this host of goodies. I felt it was no accident. So I prayed. And I said, Lord, if you want me to have one of those delicious coffee cakes, let there be a parking spot open right out front. And God answered my prayer. There it was the eighth time I drove around the block. (laughs) The first five words of James 1 verse 14 are an introduction to as well as an explanation and a statement of truth. When it says this, but every man is tempted. That businessman in that account gave evidence in his story of that idea of putting yourself in the place of temptation. I recently saw A pastor friend posts on Facebook. He pastors out in Las Vegas, Nevada. He posted a story that has really developed over several years. Many years ago, he was preaching and a man he did not know showed up in their church on a Sunday morning. And as he preached, the man was convicted of his sin and made the decision to give his life to Christ. And over the next year or so, that man discipled with the pastor. They would meet regularly as the pastor shared with him uh, truths from the word of God about how he could grow and mature in his faith. The pastor said the evidence he gave of having trusted Christ was was noted. It, It was obvious. He came to church regularly. He was growing in the faith. He was bringing others to church. Other people were getting saved that he was bringing to the church week after week. But there was a problem. Man had been, when he was saved, was an alcoholic. And the pastor spoke to him about putting himself in the place of temptation. But this was an area where he disagreed with the pastor. His reasoning was, I know barroom culture. I have a unique opportunity to go into the bar and be a witness for Jesus Christ at the bar. The contention was so strong between the pastor and this man that the man eventually Stopped going to that church, stopped meeting the pastor to be discipled, and they lost contact until after some time the pastor received a letter that the return address was marked some correctional facility. And in the letter, the man explained to the pastor how he was at the bar 
a fight broke out and a man was killed. And he was accused, tried for, and convicted of first-degree murder. Was now spending several years in prison. These accounts illustrate the danger of temptation and the importance of fleeing from it when you can. The Bible teaches us to do this. And you've often been encouraged to do so. Don't put yourself in a place of temptation. Flee from it. Run away from it. But what if... Fleeing is not an option. What if you find yourself in a particular situation where the temptation you are facing is not something you can remove from yourself or something you can remove yourself from? You've not put yourself in the place of temptation. You've been brought into it. After he shared Jesus' baptism and birth stories, Luke shared about Jesus' experience with temptation. Jesus did not put himself in the place of temptation in the way that we think of it. Nor was it a situation where he could simply flee, remove himself from it, or remove the temptation from himself. This account in Luke 14, Jesus' experience teaches us something about temptation. Look with me at Luke 4, beginning in verse 1. And the Bible declares, And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being forty days tempted of the devil. And in those days he did eat nothing. When they were ended, he afterward hungered. The devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. Jesus answered him, saying, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And the devil, taking him up into an high mountain, showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them. For that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will, I give it. If thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee. And in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. And Jesus answering said unto him, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a Season. There is so much we can learn from a familiar passage of Scripture here in Luke about temptation and how to defeat it. Number one, I want you to consider with me the context of temptation. When we look at Luke chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, There are many contrasts in these verses that are notable. They are placed here in the order that they are placed here for a purpose because we can learn from them. I want you to notice these contrasts. For example, in the first half of verse 1, we find that Jesus was full of the Holy Ghost. And that's contrasted with the end of verse 2, where he was empty. He was empty of food. Full of the Holy Ghost, empty of food. And then sandwiched in the middle is another contrast. 
In the second half of verse number one, he was led by the Spirit of God. In the first half of verse two, he was tempted of the devil. These contrasts are put here on purpose in the order that they're placed because we can learn something from them. Think of that first contrast, full of the Spirit, empty of food. Sometimes I think that you and I get a little bit of a wrong idea of what it means to be filled with the Spirit and what we're going to see in our lives Can I share with you today, based on what we see here with Jesus Christ, being filled with the Spirit does not necessarily mean that you won't lack something else. Jesus was hungry. For 40 days he fasted. Yes, this was a spiritual endeavor. Yes, it was a spiritual practice. But do not miss. That the first temptation that Satan brought his way connected directly to the reality that Jesus had a lack in his life. He was hungry. You can go through this day filled with the Spirit and find yourself lacking in another area of your life. Doesn't mean that there's something wrong, but it is something that can be used against us. And if we're not prepared to meet with it, we're going to have a hard time when that temptation comes. You can be filled with the Spirit and be hungry. You can be filled with the Spirit and be thirsty. You can be filled with the Spirit and be tired. You can be filled with the Spirit and lacking in a relational or community relationship and friendship, companionship. You can be filled with the Spirit and find lacks like that in other areas of your life. And that could be a place where you experience attack. Then that other contrast, he was led of the spirit and yet tempted by the devil. Friends, can I share with you this morning that being led of the spirit does not mean that you will not encounter the devil. Jesus was led by the spirit of God perfectly. He yielded perfectly to the spirit of God He always did the will of his father. He was always obedient to God. When he went out into the wilderness, he was led there by the spirit of God, whom he obeyed perfectly, whom he knew perfectly. And when he got to the wilderness for 40 days, he was tempted of the devil. You and I contend when we get to a place in our lives where we experience temptation We may question, if I'm experiencing temptation, then maybe I'm not where I'm supposed to be. And there are times where that may be true. But I will also remind you that if you're led by the Spirit, you can still come to a place of temptation. Temptation does not always come because you have put yourself in a place of temptation. Temptation can come in a place where you are obeying God and you can still face temptation. Both realities can exist together. We may not consider this account applicable to us because Jesus is the son of God. Some might look at this and say, well, Jesus didn't really experience temptation because Jesus couldn't sin. Could Jesus face temptation? Can we really get something from this account, the word of God? Look here. The Bible says in verse number two that he was tempted of the devil. You might want to underline that word tempted. It's the same Exact original word that's found in James chapter 1. Every man is tempted. Same exact word. The Holy Spirit, as he's leading the penman Luke to write the word of God, 
used the same exact word there that James used under the inspiration of God's Spirit in James chapter 1, identifying the legitimacy of Jesus' temptation. It was a legitimate temptation. At the same time, James also says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted of evil, neither tempteth he any man. So we have a dichotomy here, don't we? God can't be tempted, yet Jesus was tempted. Luke saw Jesus' temptation as legitimate. But how then do we reconcile this statement of James that God can't be tempted with evil when we understand that Jesus was, is, and always will be God? How do we reconcile? I think the answer is actually pretty pretty, pretty simple. As the Son of God, Jesus could not be tempted and could not sin. But as the Son of Man, he could be tempted. You say, Pastor, how does that make any sense? Okay. The Bible tells us that God neither slumbers nor sleeps. God doesn't get tired and he doesn't sleep. Did Jesus sleep? Did Jesus get tired? Yeah. God doesn't need food. He used that as a sarcasm with the people of Israel and the prophet Isaiah when they were bringing their sacrifices to God like he needed them. And God sarcastically spoke to the children of Israel and said, do I need your sacrifices for food? Do I need you to feed me and take care of me? And yet, did Jesus get hungry? Did Jesus need to eat? Yeah. Okay, so it's actually pretty simple. As God, Jesus doesn't need sleep. Jesus doesn't need food or any of those things. As man, he needed those things. As God, Jesus could not be tempted. As man, he could be tempted. You say, Pastor, it's hard for me to wrap my mind around that. I understand. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around the reality that he was all God and all man at the same time. Hey, let me give you another example in case you're still struggling. Can God die? God's eternal, right? So did Jesus not really die on the cross? And if Jesus really did die on the cross, does that mean that God died? So while we find it difficult to understand and wrap our minds around that concept, we see it over and over again in Scripture between this dichotomy that Jesus is all God and yet all man. We can't understand it completely, but it's true, and we believe it. Jesus was indeed tempted. It was legitimate. One writer said it this way, We sometimes think that Jesus' temptations were not real because they were not exactly like ours. There was never a sinful pull or a sinful memory inside of Jesus like in us. But in many ways, Jesus' temptations were more real and more severe. How so? For us, the pressure of temptation often relents when we give in. Isn't that true? You're being tempted to something, whatever it is, you give in to the temptation. Does the temptation remain in that moment? No, because you've given in. Jesus never gave in. He had to withstand a much greater pressure of temptation than you or I ever will. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 12 that he endured. He, he faced that and continued to endure even, in the, even through the shedding of blood. You and I don't experience that. And so to answer the question, can we get something from Jesus' temptation? The answer is yes, we can. Number two, I want you to see the content of temptation. You know, it's interesting. Jesus is the son of God without a sin nature, without a sinful pull, without the memory of past sins. And yet Satan's temptation of Jesus mimics his temptation of us. Satan tempted Jesus in the same ways that he tempts us. I want you to think with me about the temptation that Satan put Jesus through in three different ways, and each way has three parts to it. 
Number one, Satan tempted Jesus against the will, the worship, and the word of God. In temptation number one, if you're the son of God, command that these stones be made bread. Now, something you need to understand, linguistically speaking, Satan was not questioning if Jesus was the son of God. So often when we put a condition on something like that, if you really are who you say you are, then do this. If you can really dunk a basketball, prove it to me. We're not saying we know the person can dunk a basketball, but we want to see it or or something along those lines. We're questioning if they really can. In the Greek language, there were different classes of conditions. This particular uh, class that Saint used was the first class condition. What exactly does that mean? It simply means when he said, if you're the son of God, he wasn't questioning whether or not Jesus was the son of God. He was saying, I know you are. And because you're the son of God, do this. Satan's temptation here was not for Jesus to prove that he was the son of God. It was to exploit his position as the son of God. As the son of God, Jesus is equal to the father. Yes. Yes. But Philippians chapter 2, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men. In that place as the son of man, he was yielded and obedient to the father as a subordinate, as a son would be or should be to a father. And so in this particular place, remind yourself, who led Jesus out into the wilderness? The Spirit of God by the will of the Father. Who then led him into a 40-day fast? The Spirit of God by the will of the Father. Satan's temptation here was for Jesus to exploit his place, his position as the Son of God, to disobey God. To go against the will of the Father. How many times in your life and mine does the temptation that we face connect to a temptation to go against the will of God? For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye abstain from fornication. The Bible tells us it's the will of God for us to submit to our authority. The Bible tells us it's the will of God that in everything we would give thanks. How often, even in these three areas, the saints' temptation of us draw us to go contrary to the will of God in our lives. It was against the worship of God. In that second temptation, there in verses 5 through 7, the devil asks Jesus to worship him. That seems crazy, doesn't it? Satan asking the son of God, whom he knows is the son of God, to fall down and worship him. But what's going on here? He he showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the world in an instant. Uh, Some type of vision of all the kingdoms of the world. And he said, I'll give you these if you will fall down and worship me. By the way, can we pause for just a moment? Hit the pause button. Satan said, these are given to me. Let me remind you today that Satan is the God of this world. God rules and reigns on the throne. Nothing is ever going to change that. But God has permitted Satan a level of authority and rule in this world. I want you to remember as you go through life in this world that yes, God is in control. But Satan has authority. Satan has power. And sometimes the powers that be that we see in the world are not directly of God. He's in charge, yes, he's sovereign over all, but are directly of Satan as permitted by God. Jesus did not go to Satan and say, you don't have the authority to give me those things. Jesus didn't say, those don't belong to you. Jesus didn't correct Satan and say, you're a liar. These don't belong to you. He didn't say that, did he? 
Instead, he answered what Satan was tempting him to, worship me. And he said, you should worship God alone. Now, why would this even be a temptation for, for, for Jesus? God, the Father, promised God the Son a crown. Glory. Some of the prophecies of the Old Testament related to the Messiah were about the Davidic throne, but also about ruling over the kingdoms of this world, putting all his enemies under his feet, giving him all authority and power. But to get to the crown, the son must first face what? The cross. Philippians chapter 2 again. He, he was uh, obedient. He yielded himself unto death, even the death of the cross. And then, and God also hath highly exalted him, given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That connects to this idea that he put all enemies under his feet. Give him a name above all. Make him ruler and king over all. Satan was saying, hey, Jesus, I will give you the crown without the cross. Is that a temptation you and I ever face? If any man will follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Oh, isn't it true that in your life and mine, we want the crown without the cross? Say, no, that's not me. Oh, yeah. How much do you like being comfortable in life? I like being comfortable. Man, set the thermostat exactly where I feel good. Put me in my cushy bed at night and with the right blankets and don't interrupt my sleep. Kick the dog out of the room when he makes a little too much noise. Quiet the baby up some way, somehow. Just keep her quiet, you know. I like to be comfortable, and so do you. Cross and comfort don't often go together, do they? Oh, we face the temptation, don't we? How about the Word of God? Satan takes Jesus to the Temple Mount and he says, throw yourself down. Why? Because God said, I'll give his angels charge concerning thee. Friend, don't convince yourself that Satan does not know and will not use the word of God. Satan does know God's word and he will use God's word in deception and temptation. He doesn't often have to get to that place with us. We usually give in before that. But he'll use God's word. All the more reason it is so important that you and I be in God's word every day. Satan will take God's word. He will twist God's word. He'll take it out of context. He'll use, use a truth here and a truth there and, and connect them together in a way that twists the word of God and uses it to tempt us. And we think, wow, that sounds good. That sounds true. That sounds believable. That even sounds God-honoring. And we're being deceived right into temptation and sin. Saint will do the same thing in our lives that he did with Jesus. Notice the second way. He contrasts the love, hope, and faithfulness of God. In that first temptation again, make these stones bread. Jesus, you've been hungry for 40 days and 40 nights of fasting. What's he doing? He's questioning the goodness of God. Friend, can I ask in your life, are you ever tempted to question and doubt the goodness of God? The love of God? Have you ever wondered, does God really love me? Is God really good? Is everything God does good? Does God really work all things together for good? Have you ever been tempted to question that, to doubt it? 
what's going on? Satan is at work in your life, just as he was in Jesus. He contrasts the hope. Again, go to that second temptation. Worship me. Take the crown without the cross. He was calling into question the hope that God provides. You say, how so? Do you remember Hebrews 12, 1 through 3? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. The Bible talks in that passage about the reality that Jesus looked past the cross to that crown, to the exaltation, to all that God would accomplish through his sacrifice. And he looked through the cross in hope. And so Satan will call into question the hope that God provides us. Every man that hath this hope in himself, 1 John chapter 3, will purify himself even as he is pure. Peter talks about our hope that's undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Over and over again, we are called to remember that blessed hope that motivates us. And so in tempting us, Satan will call that hope into question. Then he he contrasted the faithfulness of God. Hey, throw yourself down. God has said... He'll give his angels charge concerning you. Jesus said, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. How was this tempting God in that way? It was as if Jesus would say, all right, God, prove yourself. Father, prove yourself. Prove your word is true. Are we ever tempted to do that? God, I don't see what you're doing. Prove to me that you are who you say you are. Prove to me that your word is true. Think about it a moment. In questioning the love, the hope, and the faithfulness of God, Satan brought what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 are the three main Christian virtues. Love, hope, faith. And put them all into question, pitted them against the Father and his temptation of Jesus, and he'll do the same with us. And then the third way... The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. We've seen this before. The Garden of Eden. He used the same method with Eve. He used the same method with Jesus. And he uses the same method with us through his deception, through his wiles, through his trickery. He uses these same things in our life to draw us into temptation. But then I want you to see, thirdly, the combating of temptation. Jesus, can we really learn from his temptation? Think about this for a moment. Jesus did not use some supernatural divine power to defeat temptation that is not available to us. Jesus faced, endured, and defeated temptation as a spirit-filled, word-of-God-filled man. Jesus didn't perform a miracle. He didn't even use his authority as the Son of God that gives him authority over Satan. To defeat Satan's temptation. He used the same resources that are available to you and me today. To defeat temptation. What were they? Very simply the spirit of God. God's spirit indwells every believer. Supplies power to enable us to overcome Satan's power and temptation. You do not have less than what Jesus had. All of God's spirit that you can have is what God has given you. You have all of the Holy Spirit you're ever going to have. How much of you does the spirit have? You've heard that. And it's true. Be filled with the spirit. That doesn't mean you've got to go to God and find the rest of the spirit you don't have. You've got it all. Are you yielded? Are you obedient? Are you sensitive to his voice? What does the spirit of God do? Jesus told his disciples during his last message to them the night he was betrayed that he would send another comforter. And one of the ministries of that comforter would be to bring all things to your remembrance. He'll remind you of the truth of God. Not only that, he will illuminate. 
He will teach you the very truth of God, giving you an understanding, giving you the resources you need to take the word of God and use it the way you should in the battle against Satan. You have that same resource Jesus had. How about then the word of God? In a way, we could say we have more than Jesus had. How's that? Because we have a New Testament too. Jesus had all he needed, and so do we. We have the completed, perfected, preserved word of God. It does not lack anything that you and I need to face, to endure, and overcome temptation. Everything we need for every temptation that Satan will throw in our, our way is already here in God's eternal word. You say, well, pastor, it's been a while since that's been finished. Maybe Satan has come up with some new methods. Maybe he's figured out some things that God's word doesn't address. No, it's all here. Completely relevant and complete for all that we need. When known and internalized, God's word supplies truth to enable us to identify Satan's lies. One writer writing about where this battle often takes place in the mind wrote that psychologists and others who study how our minds work talk about the law of exposure. The law of exposure says that the mind absorbs and reflects what is it, it is exposed to the most. Basically, if we allow a thought into our minds, it will come out in our lives. So let me ask you this morning. How does the law of exposure look in your life? What are you exposing yourself to the most? If you're struggling to face, endure, and overcome temptation in your life, I have to wonder... Are we failing to expose ourselves to the resources God's given us like we should? What has the most say in your life? Can can I say this? Whatever has the most say in your life also has the most sway in your life. Whatever you expose yourself to the most has the most influence in your life. And so if you are facing temptation and struggling, if you are battling in your mind and being overcome rather than overcoming, that is not what God has designed for you. That is not what God has provided for you. If that is happening in your life, then you need more exposure to the resources God has provided you. So expose yourself to them and allow God to work through them. But then I want to give you a third resource. The Spirit of God, the Word of God, and then the community of God. God's people. God's community, when participated in, supplies encouragement to endure Satan's attack. Jesus was alone in the wilderness But I believe that Matthew and Luke were able to record this event because Jesus later shared this event with his followers. Now, I can't prove that. I can't take you the word of God and show you that. But I believe that that likely happened as Jesus taught his disciples. And regardless of if it happened or not, The Bible teaches us in nearly every one of the epistles, which is every book of the Bible following the Gospels, the importance of the community of God. Being in relationship and community with God's people. It was Martin Luther The reformer who said, Eve got into trouble when she walked in the garden alone. 
I have my worst temptations when I am by myself. I wonder if you could say the same. When I'm alone, when nobody else is around, when I am all by myself, that's when I face the greatest temptations. That's when the negative thoughts flood into my mind and begin to overwhelm and overcome me. God has given us a resource for that called the church, the community of God's people. And by the way, don't misunderstand. I'm not simply talking about showing up on Sunday morning or Sunday night or Wednesday night. I am talking about being in daily community with God's people. Have a prayer partner. Have someone that you can go to at any time, be it in person, be it through a phone call or a text message, whatever it is, that you can reach out to and say, hey, I am struggling right now. Pray for me. Pray with me. The Bible speaks to us in James about confessing faults to one another. Why? That ye may be healed. It is in most cases unhealthy spiritually to keep your temptation and your sin to yourself. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. This is one of the resources God has given us to face, endure, and overcome temptation. And then I want you to see, fourthly, the conclusion of temptation. Verse 13. And when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him. What's the last phrase of the verse there? Three words. For a season. It's easy to skip over. We don't see such outright temptation recorded in the word of God. We see evidence of it. He said here in verse number eight, get thee behind me, Satan. When Satan tempted him to look past the cross and see the crown, skip the cross for the sake of the crown. Do you remember what happened when Jesus told his disciples that he was going to be turned over to the religious leaders? He was going to suffer and die. Peter took him aside to rebuke him. And what did Jesus say to Peter? Get thee behind me, Satan. One of his own followers was being used as a tool of the devil in a way to reenact the same temptation he faced here in the wilderness. And Jesus had to say the same thing to Peter that he said directly to Satan. Get behind me. I want you to remember. Every time you face temptation, God provides a way to escape. God is faithful who will not suffer us to be tempted above that we are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. You will face, endure, and overcome temptation But that does not mean that that temptation will go away forever. There may be temptations that you will continue to face and battle throughout your life. And that's hard. We wish it wasn't that way. But it's a consistent reminder that sin still dwells in our heart and our redemption isn't finished yet. That will happen when we get to heaven. Don't think that you're ever past the place of being tempted. Well, pastor, I've reached that that time. I've reached that maturity. I've reached that age. No temptation anymore. It's not going to happen. But then I want you to see this. When Jesus overcame the temptation, Luke's gospel doesn't tell us this, but Matthew's does in chapter four. The Bible tells us that angels came and ministered to him. Was Jesus's temptation legitimate? Yes. And I know that in part because it took so much out of him 
that God sent angels to minister to him, to strengthen him, to build him back up. And friend, God will do the same for you. When you're in the throes of temptation and you are battling, you're doing what you can with God's help to endure that temptation. And it feels like you can't go on. It feels like you're being overwhelmed. The, the, the enemy is just bearing down on you, has you by the throat as it were. God has promised to minister to us in this way like he did to Jesus. My dad mentioned part of the passage in Sunday school this morning, 1 Peter chapter 5. I want you to listen to it. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He's looking to tempt you. He's looking to destroy you. The next verse says, whom, re- whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Others are facing temptation too. But listen to this then. But the God... God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while. What's he talking about? What's suffering? Temptation. Afflictions. After that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. What is Peter talking about here? He is talking about that ministry. That God will accomplish in your life as you faithfully face, endure, overcome temptation. God will give you the strength you need. He'll give you the resources you need. He'll replenish you as you need. He'll refresh you as you need. Though the outward man perish, the inner man is renewed day by day. He gives grace for grace. He's the God of all grace. His grace is sufficient for us. I could go on and on and on. He is there ministering to you. You're not battling alone. You might feel at times like you are on empty. You ever been there? But you're not. He won't let you get to that point. And then, finally, the end of temptation, the conclusion, he continued in the Spirit of God. That's in verse 14. It takes us into the next part of the text. The Bible says, and Jesus returned in the power of the spirit. Go back to verse number one. He went out into the wilderness full of the spirit. He returned in the power of the spirit. The Bible commands us, grieve not the spirit of God. Quench not the spirit of God. When the Bible says quench not the spirit of God, the picture is that the spirit of God is a fire burning in our hearts and in our lives. And to quench the spirit of God is to break the glass, to take out the fire extinguisher and start to do this. When you face temptation and you give in, what you're doing is actively helping the devil put that fire out in your life. Now here's the truth though. If you're a child of God, can that fire ever be completely put out? No. At the beginning of the message, I told you a story of a man who got saved and was being used by God. And because he refused to give up that particular area in his life that he had good intentions for, by the way. That he thought and believed this is how God wants to use me. And it was all along Satan's deception to keep him in a place of temptation. He has since served his time. He's out of prison. He's back in that church. Back meeting regularly with the pastor being discipled. God's forgiven him. God is working to restore him. And that fire that he took the extinguisher and started to spray out, that fire is rekindled and burning again, bigger and brighter. Once again, he's bringing others to church and being used by God. 
You see, Jesus's experience here for us is an example of how we can face, endure and overcome temptation. But all of you are like me. And when we think about facing, enduring and overcoming temptation, we can't help but think about all the times that we failed. That we've given in even before the battle's begun. That someone spoke to us that way and we retorted unkindly, ungracefully, and immediately we were pricked in our hearts. And there wasn't even a battle we gave into our flesh. Spoke in a way that we shouldn't have said something that we shouldn't have. We get into a misunderstanding with our spouse or with our children and we, we say things that, that are just unkind and And disgraceful for people to say, especially children of God. And there's not even really been a temptation. We've just given into our flesh. And then other times we've battled temptation. We've battled temptation and we give in. We feel so guilty and so ashamed. And we hear a message on facing, enduring, and overcoming temptation. And we think, I can't. I have failed so many times. I give in to that temptation over and over and over again. I give in to my lust over and over again. I give in to envy over and over again. I struggle with my thought life constantly. I I gossiped again after feeling bad about it last time. And I did it again. I said something unkind to my child. Ten minutes after feeling guilty for the last time, I said something ungraciously to my child. And we struggle with this. What God's word has for us in that time is. If that's you. I have grace for you. Confess your sin. He is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And he'll do that every single day. And so maybe today, as you've listened to this message, you've just felt guilty. There's forgiveness for you at the cross. And perhaps, perhaps you're not a son or a daughter of God. You've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Your sin has you bound, condemned to hell separated from God. But God has forgiveness for you. Jesus died to give you salvation if you will believe in him. And you can do that today. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning?